So our scripture passage for today is going to be from the Gospel of Mark, the 15th chapter. Mark chapter 15, and we're going to be reading verses 16 through 20. Mark 15, 16 through 20. And we read God's breathed out word to us upon this day. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail! King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, for its glorious truth. And even though, Lord, this is, this is a very difficult passage, Father, not for us to know and to understand. That we get pretty clearly. It's difficult, Father, for us to comprehend the insults and the mockery that Jesus Christ endured. We pray, Father, that as we consider this passage today, that, Lord, you would speak to our own hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So two points, if you have the outline uh, today at home. Two points. One, he was led. That's how verse 16 begins. That's where our passage begins. And the soldiers led him away. And then secondly, he was mocked. He was mocked. So he was led and he was mocked. As we consider the fact that he was led, the first thing we we need to reflect upon is the fact that, that Christ is being submissive here. Christ permitted himself to be led. Christ allowed himself to be led. Christ willingly submitted to the soldiers and allowed them to lead him. He is, after all, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Perhaps our best example that we have in our modern day world of of kings and queens is to think about the Queen of England. Did you ever notice that no one ever leads the queen? The queen always enters somewhere on her own. Even Prince Philip has to kind of trudge along behind, right? He's got to give his space. He's got to give his place to her. We sing, do we not, uh, joyfully, lead on, O King Eternal. We think of Psalm 23, he leads me beside quiet waters. Jesus Christ is the king. He is the one who leads. But here you see, here, 
As Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2, he gave up that glory, that equality with God. He considered it not something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and became one of us. Took on the form of a servant. He was led. He was led. The submission of Christ. This isn't them making him do anything. This is Jesus allowing them to do something. And of course, this is a reminder of the prophecy that we have in Isaiah chapter 53 again. In that seventh verse, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. That's what's happening here in Mark chapter 15. The lamb is being led to the slaughter. Mark has indicated this numerous times. He, although you find references to this in the, the other Gospels as well, in the past several chapters, Mark has, has really uh, called our attention to this. If you go back to Mark chapter 14, verse 53, as we leave the Garden of Gethsemane, remember these words? Mark 14, 53, and they led Jesus to the high priest. Chapter 15, verse 1, as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away. And here we have it again. Mark chapter 5, 16. And the soldiers led him away. And note the last verse, verse 20 of our text for today. And they led him out to crucify him. Mark is reminding us that like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, Mark is reminding us of the fact that Jesus submitted himself to being led. Well, our second point this morning is the fact that he was mocked. Um, many theologians uh, believe that the Gospel of Mark uh, had as its first intended audience the church in Rome that Mark was writing this in such a way to encourage that church that was beginning to go through persecution from who the Roman Empire specifically from Roman soldiers and so it's almost as if Mark in in writing this account now sets aside this little section to say, look at how Rome, look at how Roman soldiers treated your Lord and Savior. Understand that as he was treated, you suffering in his and for his name's sake is indeed a blessing. Count it all joy, my friends, when you face various trials of different kinds. Jesus told us that all who are followers of his 
would indeed suffer for being his children. Mark is writing this to show the extent to which Jesus suffered for us in this mockery that he endures. First of all, and let's just go down through it, first of all, note that the whole battalion now comes out. There had been a group of soldiers involved in the flogging that we looked at uh, last Lord's Day. Now, it's the whole battalion. We don't know how many that is, but the reading of it sounds like there's going to be quite a few guys involved now. A whole group of men now comes out, not just the few who were in charge of flogging Jesus, but the whole battalion. Most likely Syrian soldiers hired by the Romans to come down to Judea to take charge. Why Syrians? Because they also spoke Aramaic. And therefore they would know, they'd be able to understand that which the Jews were talking about, that which was being talked about in the marketplaces, that which was being talked about on the roads and so on. They would be able to understand if there was something going on or if there was some problem that they needed to quell. Syrian soldiers imported to be in charge of the Jews. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace. And they called together the whole battalion. And it's almost in very rapid order, isn't it, that, that these things come. First of all, there is a purple robe. Uh, one of the gospel accounts uses the term scarlet. Scarlet would have been the representation of, of the Roman color. That's what the soldiers wore. Maybe it's some sort of that, that thing they wear over their shoulders, right, and tied together here. You've probably seen that in, in old uh, movies of, about Rome. That's probably what is being referred to here. But this one is older. It's worn. It's faded. It's become more of a purple rather than a brilliant scarlet. It's probably just an old rag they had over there. Maybe it's something they used to clean their weapons with. It was sitting off to the side and somebody said, hey, go get that thing. Let's put that on Jesus. Using it as it were to, to once again mock the fact that Jesus claims to be king of the Jews. There is a crown of thorns. One often wonders, you know, where'd they find this? Where, how did this come about? Uh, one of the commentators, I think it's Hendrickson, points out that uh, there, there seems to be an overabundance of uh, thorny-type plants that grow in Palestine. So it's almost like they're everywhere. Every nook and cranny, there grew a plant uh, that had some sort of thorns upon it. So they grab one of these, twist it together, make it into a crown of thorns. Interesting, isn't it, when we go back to Genesis 3.18, what was part of the curse that falls upon mankind? But now there would be thorns and thistles and briars that they would have to deal with. Here comes now the second Adam. Wearing the crown of thorns. 
There he is, our representative of the covenant of grace, bearing upon his own head the wounds, the crown of thorns, signifying again our sin and our failures. He's given a, a reed for a scepter. Mark doesn't include that. He references it later. But if you go to, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verse 29, uh, they, they find him a scepter, a reed, probably some sort of wooden stick. You know, kings need scepters, right? Uh, you have that whole story of Esther and uh, being concerned that the king might not extend his scepter. Probably in, uh, for most kings, that's probably made of gold and probably some precious jewels surrounding it. Well, if we're going to mock the one who is the king of the Jews, let's just give him an old wooden stick. Put it in his hand. Let's make a mockery of this kingship that supposedly he is. Verse 18 tells us that as the mockery continued, they began to salute him. Some say the salute is the words. Others say, no, it's, it's actually the, uh, some sort of military salute. I don't know if Romans saluted the way that our military does, or it may just be that they, you know, stood at attention in front of him. They gave, it appears, some sort of sign, some sort of signal that they would have normally given to their commander, to, to perhaps the centurion or the person above the centurion or a general or certainly the Caesar, that they would have called to attention. Maybe that's our, our better way of understanding. They stood at attention. Once again, all in mockery of Christ. We are reminded as well of their words of derision. Hail! Hail! King of the Jews. What does that hail mean? Well, it's a salutation. It's a greeting. Which means, I am glad. I rejoice. I rejoice in you. I am glad in you. But what's interesting is that the Greek word for hail, which is kairu, is the root word of grace. Of to be favorably disposed towards someone. They've taken grace and twisted it around. Oh, you, yeah, you. Oh, I'm so favorably disposed towards you. Hail, oh yeah, you king of the Jews. The very core of that which is happening in these events, of God through Jesus Christ, not only making atonement, but dispensing His grace through these means to you, to I. They've turned it the other way around. Oh no, we're the ones who get to hail you. We're the ones who get to give you the, our favor by acknowledging the fact that, oh, you are the king, aren't you? 
the mockery. And then there are the acts of violence, verse 19. And they were striking his head with a reed. They were taking the scepter and hitting him with it. That wooden stick that they had given him. And spitting on him. It continues. The degradation under which they put him. We go back to Isaiah chapter 53. We read these words, starting at verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Look at him here. Look at, look at Jesus. What does he look like in this scene? Do you see any beauty there? Do you see any form? Do you see any majesty here? He had no form, no majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him by this point in time, bleeding, black and blue mess. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. There is no esteem here. There is only but mockery that is taking place. Or we go back to Psalm chapter, Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorn by mankind, and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. You see God's word coming true? Do you see that truth that is, that is coming out? Even Jesus' own words back in Mark chapter 10. For even Mark chapter 10, verses, got the wrong verse there. Mark 10 33 was the verse I needed. Mark 10, 33. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will contemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. That's the Romans. And what are the Romans going to do, did Jesus say? Verse 34. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Why does Mark include... All the information he does. Why couldn't he, Mark just say they mocked him. They mocked his kingship. They mocked his rule. Why? Because Jesus' words called attention to it. And Mark is bringing out the exactness of Jesus' words being fulfilled. And then they come, okay, according to verse 19, and kneeling down in homage to him. They, they bend the knee. They bow that knee before him in mockery. Someday, though, it will no longer be in mockery, will it? This is what Paul reminds us of in Philippians chapter 2. That God has given to him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, 
every knee shall bow. Every knee. And someday, going to be bent not in mockery, but it's going to be bent either in adoration and praise that their Savior, their Lord is coming for them, or it is going to be bent knowing the judgment that is about to come. See, if you put it all together, it sort of goes like this. There's Jesus, clad in his purple robe, with his crown and with his scepter. The soldiers walk up, salute him. Take the staff, that scepter he's holding, and beat him with it. And then they spit in his face. Say, Hail, King of the Jews! And they bow that knee in mockery. But it's not just one. It's not just two. The whole battalion, soldier after soldier after soldier after soldier, Yet, what does Isaiah say? He opened not his mouth. There is not one word from Jesus. It's a lamb before its shears is dumb. He opened not his mouth. What else did the soldiers do? Well, don't miss the parentheses. Right? Verse 16, they led him away, they mock him, but it's not done. They take off these symbols of kingship, put back on his own clothes. And what does verse 20 tell us they did? And they led him out. To crucify him. They led him to a crucifixion. As if that which they have done so far is not enough. That which they have submitted him to. That which they have done to him. That which they have subjected him to. It's not enough. They led him to be crucified. And remember, the led is Jesus is allowing them to take him to the place of crucifixion. Why? Again, does Jesus do this? Why? Obedience to the Father? To bring glory to the Father? To be the obedient Son? To be the perfect sacrifice? So that that which He is about to endure is worth something? To fulfill the word 
that God has spoken to fulfill his own word so that we might know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. But ultimately, we know why, don't we? It's love. It's love for you. It's love for me. It's love for all those that the Holy Spirit works within their hearts and causes them to come to faith in Christ. It's Christ's love for all those that the Father has given to Him. He knows the goal. He knows the reason. The reason is those that the Father has chosen from before the foundations of the world need to have their sins covered, need to have those sins paid for. And the only way, the only way that those chosen of the Lord can ever, can ever become right with God is for Jesus, for Him, for Him to endure this, for Him to be mocked. For him to be abused. Oh, how he loves you and I. So how do we respond to that? How, how do we respond to a passage like this where we see the love of Christ and we see that perfect obedience of Christ for us? How, how, how do we respond? Let me give you one way. It's the way the Apostle Paul responded to it. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What's the conclusion? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. To live for Christ. To live for Christ. To respond to that love of Christ. With love for Him. To no longer live for self. But to live for Christ. Alone. Ah, man of sorrows, Isaiah wrote. And the hymn writer said, What a name! What a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners, you and I, ruined sinners to reclaim, to bring to the Father. Oh, hallelujah! 
What a Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for its reminder to us upon this day that Jesus Christ loved. His love for us is why He endured. His love for the Father is why He obeyed. Oh, Father, kindle, kindle within us a heart and a passion, not for self, but for Christ. In His name. Amen.